The Athen Real Talk podcast explores controversial ideas to stimulate debate and active thinking. These ideas do not always reflect Athen's personal views. Welcome to the Athen Real Talk podcast. He has been called the best gamer in the world, hands down. World famous gamer and philanthropist Athen. Gaming for good, it's called, has raised more than $20 million. Using his notoriety to raise money for charity. On activism, science, culture, and self-development. I'm proud to have him in the studio today. I would not want to take you on in a video game. Platinos, is a theme where you born with hyper-awareness or have you built it up? How? Well, I will be very honest. I got very lucky. And I've already told you guys my life story, but I'm going to repeat it very short. When I was a kid, and I'm talking really like four or five years old, I was always observing my environment. And I got a lot of affection from my mother. My father was quite of a douchebag, but my mother always gave me a lot of love. So I really had a great feeling about myself. I was a favorite in my uh, family. I was a favorite kid. I'm actually quite certain that my mother liked me the most. And uh, I always hugged her. And I was very, you know, like I just had a lot of warmth. So my self-esteem was very high. And um, since I was very young, and I'm talking when I was eight years old, I was, and my brother also was a great influence to me because he kept doing stuff with me. I never was bored. He always did games and card games and board games. It was really like I had a really good youth. I was really always quite active as I grew up. So my self-esteem was quite high, my emotional self-esteem. But since I was eight years old, my brother and his friend, which were like eight years older, 16 years, had a lot of discussions about life and about stars and about general special relativity and about uh, physics because the friend of my brother was very interested in these things, black holes and stuff. And I was just sitting there as an eight-year-old listening to what they said. And I was really, I was just very passionate about it myself because I was a kid. I loved to understand these things. And that was the only moment in my life that I can remember that I was validation seeking. And when I say validation seeking, I would more call it approval seeking. I talked about these things and I thought it was important that what I said was not completely dismissed and seen as stupid. But since I was quite a more smart kid smarter kid i was always the best in my class as well like the things i said were really interesting and as a result i like it gave me a strong drive to figure things out and to think about these things to think about space time and stuff and that's when i was not even 10 years old but back then there was no google or phones or shit like uh, this is really an old time so we the ideas were mainly in the room and i was just debating about these things and thinking about these things in a very simple way but still it was for me as a child it was extremely satisfying so i got a lot of like even more self seen from that but as i grew older when i was 10 years old i felt really like big the need to be waterproof Because I didn't like to be wrong. I didn't like to have flaws. I didn't like to be inconsistent. And that's why I said like science and logic and reason is really important. And it's mainly because of the talks with my brother and his friend that I was so scientific oriented. I didn't get pushed to another direction or anything. So as a result, I was really very scientific, very logical, very rational. And at the same time, I had very high self-esteem. So now, like, I wanted to start, like, I had a lot of existential questions and I went to pursue to find answers. So when I then became 11, 12, 13 years old, I was also, like, much into gaming back then. And I really liked to, to get approval from video games. 
to break video games. And video games back in the days, they were not like the games today. They were not just fucking casual bullshit. It was really hard. But I kept just completing games and was really extremely good at it. And it also added a lot to my rational thinking, my problem-solving thinking, and to my ability to really be, you know, feeling really good about myself. So, like, these are all things that really contribute to very, very, very strong self-esteem. Then on top of that, this is when I was 11 and 12 years old, by the way, and I remember it, the fifth and sixth grade in elementary school, I started corrugating teachers when they were doing math and stuff. I was corrugating them. And I just started asking more questions. And from there on, from when I was then 12, when I went back from elementary school to the, what is it, high school? What do you call it? I just started to think very different than people. But when I say different is I didn't really get influenced so much by social conditioning because I was quite isolated. I was thinking a lot and I was always trying to figure out how to answer these existential questions that I had. So I was quite existentially focused and I loved science. I have to say when I was in high school, I was a bit thinking about girls, but it was not that bad. I was still young. Then when I was 14, I remember my mother always saying like, yeah, you're going to hit puberty. And when you are hit puberty, you're going to be a problem child and stuff. That's what happens with everyone. And I was always like, no, but it's not going to happen with me. It's not going to happen with me. But when my puberty hit, rather than having identity and ego, I just became a lot more selfless because I had a very high self-esteem. And I didn't need validation anymore. I had enough approval. I went through enough approval. By the time I hit puberty, I didn't need anything more and I wanted to help. And around my 14, my 14 year birthday, the reason why I know that I was selfless back then is because I asked my mother for my birthday to stop smoking. And since then, for three years, I've asked her to stop smoking. And when I turned 18, I asked her since then just to be happy. That's the best present she could give me. I wasn't wanting, I wanted to give. And since 14, I was already starting to wanting to be active, more activist oriented. I talked a lot about things with friends and we thought about things and it was more like a lot of intellectual masturbation. Although, yeah, it was a bit intellectual masturbation, but more in a big part, it was trying to figure out how to have an impact. And by the year of 16, when I hit 16, I started becoming actually active in political movements and such and organizations. I started going to meetings and like really heavily look up to it. And the problem was that when I was doing that, I really met people and they were just flawed. Like their logic was flawed, their thoughts were flawed. But I was already in a very strong position of knowing what I want and having good insight in my reasoning and such. Although back in the days I was more thinking in black and white, but it quickly shifted because I started getting into quantum mechanics Even during the school, when the chemistry, during chemistry and physics, when teachers were talking about making drawing balls on the board and stuff, I was telling them, but this is not accurate. Like it's quantum mechanics and this and that. And they were like, yeah, but you will learn that in university. But I was 17 years old and I was talking to teachers about that. So then like when I became 18, I started really trying to figure out the universe. I really wanted to figure out how the universe worked. I even talked to PhDs back then. I remember talking to a PhD in chemistry about time and space and how if time is quantized on a small level and such. That was when I was 18. But by then I was very, very much, yeah, like I was just ultra aware already by then. Like I would say when I was 16. It's also when I was 16 that I stopped eating sugar, by the way. Just so you know, from my own, like no cookies, no sugar. When I was 16, I stopped. I stopped eating all cookies. But I still ate sugar, I think. When I was, I think, 18 or 19, I stopped eating all sugar. Anything with sugar, I stopped. So yeah, all these things just help with your awareness. And I just got lucky if you hear this story. I mean, 
and then the internet came and yeah like i just wanted to make a difference and i got into politics i was one of the first elected when i was younger one of the first elected in belgium i was actually the youngest elected in belgium first elected so i saw politics behind the scenes how corrupt it was how it's all about power and money since my 18 year old i was quite young and went through all these experiences. Then after that, I got a bit into Ultima Online and uh, made quite some money there. Gave all the money to my mother, got into Big Brother, wrote a book, started the political movement of Nate and got into YouTube with a project and wanted to really make a difference. But I was already like, since my 16-year-old, I was very heavily focused on making a difference in the world and spreading ideas. And the funny thing also, like when I look back, whenever I had a conversation with people, I always talked from third person. When I talked about an idea, I never talked about it from my personal experience. And now I realize, like, sometimes people were really confused. And I say, like, yeah, but to me, it's not so much about the insight for me. I want to be able to explain it. I never cared about insights. I just cared about the ability to explain it and spread it. So, yeah, like, since then, I just focused more and more on, on you know, having an impact. And I never really gave up, even with some setbacks. And, uh, yeah, here I am. My awareness kept growing, though. It kept growing more and more. Even now, it's still growing. It's growing every day. Matrakilho says, I asked this on stream, but Reese said I had to pay. Why care if the planet or even the human race is going to be extinct eventually? Because if you would ask the first cell, why would you, you know, care to be if you will cease to exist? I mean, like, it won't even answer your question. It just is what it is. We are what we are. Your ability to ask this question in the first place is because things have evolved to the point to what you've become and you're designed to move forward and progress. That's what you're designed to do. The answer to your question is more like, why are you asking that question? The reason why you ask that question is because you're quite nihilistic. The reason why you're quite nihilistic is because you feel a bit sad about yourself. You feel bad about yourself. You have low self-esteem. When someone comes to me and says like, Athene, why do all this stuff? The world is going to go down anyway. We are all going to die anyway. No, it's not we're all going to die anyway. You're just sad. You feel sad and that's how you project that sadness to the world. And you think everything is going down. That's the real reason why you ask that question. But yeah, to answer the question, it doesn't matter. Because just as much as cells have brought about humanity, we will bring about even more advanced organisms. And at one point we will extinct, but we will have evolved to a more advanced life form. And then whether our planet is extinct or not won't even matter because we'd be able to move forward in different ways. But we are going to die, lol. You don't know. And who is we? Who is I? Did your ancestors die? You'd say like, yeah. Why? They've brought about, like, you're still part of them. <laughs> Biologically, you're still part of them. It's just because you identify with who you are, with your story. You know, back, like, a few thousand years ago, there were cultures that identified with their ancestors and thought that because their ancestors did something bad, they had to pay the price. You now say, like, lo, 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 why do that? It's because they identified with it just as much as you identify with your past, but you're an ever-changing unit. What if you get cloned right now? What's your past? Who are you? Did you suddenly, you know, come to existence? Like, it's just you're never changing units. Just you are what you are and that's it. If you don't identify with it, you just try to be what you are and what you're designed to do. And that's moving forward and progressing. And all the story and identification just brings you away from reality. And that's why these questions like, oh, we're all going to die anyway. What is we? We're evolving. We're moving forward. And to understand yourself, you've got to really go back 13.6 billion years ago when the Big Bang happened. That's how you understand yourself. You're not just your entity. You're more than that. You're a manifestation of all the events that have to be taken place to bring you about. 
It's like Carl Sagan says, if you want to make a pie, you've got to first create the universe. So yeah, like when you start understanding and putting things into a bigger context and start seeing things from a bigger context, then suddenly you put your purpose in a bigger scheme. It's like a cell looking at a cell in your body. You know, you got trillions of cells. Like is there and brings about what you are because of its collective, just as much as a collective of humans brings about society. Your design is more than about you. Your purpose is more than about you. And if you fully realize that, then you go like, but why am I always walking around thinking about myself? It's because you've been socially conditioned to do so. But that's not what you are. The world is not about you. Life is not about you. And if you truly understand that, you become selfless. You don't care about validation because nobody gives a shit about you either. You're just part of a bigger picture and being most in line with that allows you to be most fulfilled because that's how you evolve to become. So what's the purpose of life? Please explain. Yop 91. The purpose of life is to do what you're designed to do. And doing what you're designed to do means understanding what you are. Understanding what you are means understanding evolutionary biology and understanding how the brain works. Understanding evolutionary biology and understanding how the brain works brings about understanding that what we are is evolution. We evolve. We move forward. And that's what we're, our design is to do using our knowledge to move forward as effective as possible. And there's a clear direction between stardust and what you are. Betki says, why pain? Why worthless? I guess we have different meanings of nihilism. No, 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 no. You don't understand what I'm saying. When someone wants to think nihilistic, it's because the way the brain works is you have these core primitive emotions. And then as you grow up, they become channeled intellectually. And someone that has very low self-esteem and feels worthless likes to be more attracted to ideas and theories about uh, what is most in line with his emotion. If you feel very like low self-esteem and very worthless, nihilism is an attractive idea to believe in because it aligns with your emotional state. And then you backwards rationalize and say, oh, that's how it is. But that's not how it is. It's because you are backwards rationalizing your state. And that's why I'm giving a psychological answer because the question about nihilism is more about the reason why you even ask the question, the psychological reason rather than the question, because the question itself is not what you really want an answer to. The extent to which you take initiative to follow up on the ideas you have highly defines the extent to which you achieve things in life in terms of how you look at the world, so neurologically, so your skill set, everything, and also your actions in the world. And that is something that I've started to realize more and more. And it's something I needed to talk about because people have to be aware that low self-esteem does not just inhibit you from feeling confident or whatever, but it also inhibits you on a fundamental level to enhance your neural connections in your brain to really help you figure out how to uh, grow the most effectively and intelligently. And I realized that that goes hand in hand with critical thinking and intelligence. Because obviously when you are the person that have higher self-esteem but you're not as logical, then the approval you will get from your actions will be negative because you'd make stupid mistakes. So that is why you need a perfect balance between high self-esteem, intelligence, critical thinking, and the ability to let go when you see that a certain idea or whatever is too far-fetched and not in line with reality. And as I grew up, I managed to find my groove in that. But a lot of people, when you are in a situation over there and you're listening to this real talk, a lot of your growth will come from your ability 
to think in solutions and really overcome problems. And that is a quite proactive process. And that is something I haven't talked about yet. And I've started to realize it was essential in my development because I was not the smartest. When I was younger, I was not so enlightful or whatever, like, well, enlightful is not the right word, but like, I wasn't too out of the ordinary. But it's because from a very young age, I start pushing myself by almost like borderline OCD, whether it's games, try to really complete them or have certain existential questions. I try to complete them. I always use my brain and try to break the code. And doing so has really highly allowed me to grow as a person. And that is something that a lot of people, I think, lack. And as a result, they end up taking note. Of course, it helps a lot by learning and knowing what sources to use to learn and build upon that. But developing your own extent of critical thinking and problem solving and intelligence is crucial for you to develop as a person. And without it, you're basically setting yourself up for an approval system where you're going to get a lot of reality checks. And the best example I can give you is, for example, poker. Let's say I make money with poker and I say I have the right mindset, whatever. You guys start getting into poker. You don't have the intelligence or uh, critical thinking or logical thinking. You just start losing all your money. So the difference between su being successful or being a losing player is the extent to which you have the ability to have the right mindset, but also the extent to which you have logic and critical thinking. Like it's one example, but it translates to everything in life. And that is why training that through self-confidence and being able to really, you know, like try to go into the unknown, but also know when to let go and accept reality is a crucial part of your development. And that is something I wasn't as aware of. And it explains a lot because it also explains why it's so hard for people to come up with certain solutions to certain problems because they just accept the problems not as a problem, but rather like just an obstacle that inhibits them from even crossing it because of their beliefs. And their beliefs are brought about from their emotions of lack of confidence and inability to cross these beliefs. The more low self-confidence you have, the more you let other people make the decisions, the more you let other people design the rules. And as a result, you walk within that, even though maybe fulfillment and achievements is just on the other side. And that's what I start realizing. I wonder saying these things to which extent it helps, but it's an important part of the puzzle. What I start realizing is your ability to push your own boundaries is defined by the extent to which you're confident about yourself to take the step into the unknown. And if you have low self-confidence, you're afraid of the unknown. While I always look it up, I try to challenge myself. And that's the difference between low self-esteem and high self-esteem. If you have high self-esteem, you see it unknown, you see it as a challenge you can overcome. If you have low self-esteem, you see it as a threat, you have fear. And that's the difference. Like when you have fear, you just listen to what other people say. You don't think for yourself. And that is something that I started realizing yesterday when I was pushing myself, figuring out about Hearthstone. It's just a stupid example, but like it just goes to show it's like, who else will think about this shit? People don't think about this shit. They just think it's impossible. That's how it is. And when I look back, it's been so many, so many parts of my life that were very crucial to my achievements were things that people considered impossible. Like, you got to be crazy to just say like, yeah, I'll become the best WoW player in the world. People would just laugh at you. I'll, I'll make a few hundred thousand dollars playing poker in a year. People would just say, you crazy? Because I calculated it out on a paper. Said by the end of the year, I'll make between 150 and, two, and $500,000. People just say, you crazy? And you can't do that. Say like, sure. Made more than 300,000. 
when you say these things, people just say like, you're fucking crazy, man. You're not going to do one million hands in one month. It's impossible. Well, I did it. And that is the thing. When you have low self-esteem, it affects your ability to... But you need intelligence and critical thinking and logic to go hand in hand. Because else, if you have high self-esteem and you're stupid, you're going to smack your face against the wall. And then it's going to really hit you hard. So you've got to find the perfect balance. I will give you guys a really good exercise about looking at yourself as an observer. And that's also something for all the people that are here. That is a really good thing. I know some people are maybe watching. This is a very important insight is to, at the end of the day, write down about your progress so you can reflect on it and wonder, as an outsider, you can just look like, oh, what did I do today? And you just write it down. So you think about your day as an observer and you reflect on it. Do that. It's not about writing a diary. It's more like writing progress and wondering and reflecting for the next day. And do that every day. And you can do that with either writing or you can also do it with vlogging. But you don't even have to show the vlogs just for yourself. It helped Raphael a lot. And I think that's something that might help a lot of people as well. Like, you guys, start writing your progress every day. Start just writing it out. Write it on the paper or type it in. Whatever works best. I also wanted to say something, and I don't know if this is going to help people. But I was looking outside when I was eating in the kitchen. And I was thinking, like, let's say you watch the stream right now, right? And you see something fall. Or you just see this background. The wall is white painted white or whatever like or you have the texture of the sofa you just look at that and you just don't care about it i mean when you go and walk around you see constantly stuff in your surroundings that happen you don't care about you know like when the door closes when you close the door or there is wind and the window is a little bit moving there is nothing in your mind that makes you you know think about it or be emotionally involved And I was just looking outside in the kitchen when I was in the kitchen and I saw like the floor, the ground floor with all the stones. And there was like plants in between trying to find their way between the stones. And I was like, it's funny that on one end we can have such a a normal acceptance to even nature in general and physical properties in our reality and look at it for what it is. But when it comes to humans or animals or whatever, things that are more have more advanced cognitive capacities that we suddenly become so more emotionally involved and start labeling things. And you know what's fascinating is to realize that there is no difference between the stone and the plant. In reality, on an essential level, there is no difference. Things just are. The plant just is. The plant just is and grows between the stones Because it's just what happens when you look at biology and you really go to the molecular level and even to the atoms level, things just happen. And we are the ones that are trying to, you know, create a story around it and try to contextualize it. Yet, when it's about things that are further away from us, we have such an easy time accepting them. But then again, when it's about humans, we have such a hard time. And the funny thing is, if we want to understand reality for what it is, is to understand that we are not much more than a stone, not much more than the wind blowing. If we truly understand that, we can literally accept reality for what it is. And of course, that doesn't mean that you're going to just lie dead like a stone, but your will and your drive is brought about the same dynamics, the same laws, the same physics than the stone. Uh, The only difference is that we have advanced to such an extent that we manage to simulate and be able to calculate the odds of what is more likely or less likely to benefit us. But the emotional attachment to things 
puts us away from being able to see reality for what it is. And being fully aware of that allows you to just see things for what they are. And if a person is yelling at you, if you realize that it's not so much more than a rock falling and really like having a more complex fall, you just look at it for what it is and you try to think like, what is my best way of interacting with that that can benefit me the most or benefit humanity the most? I don't know if people understand it. Maybe it's a bit too wise shit, wise talk, too much Zen, but it's a really interesting insight to have. And it's funny how answers to all your issues, to your attachments, is just right in front of you. It's like you can look at this hat, just accepting it for what it is and understanding it and feeling it and just experiencing it can actually give you more insights than entire books when you just see it. When you just look in front of you, you can learn more with what is right in front of you when you see it for what it is than going after knowledge and reading a thousand books. Isn't that beautiful? Maybe I'm getting a little bit too deep here. Zori Chidi says, the flower isn't just there, it's trying to adapt to its environment so it can survive. What you're saying there is an interpretation. It's not trying to adapt to its environment so it can survive, it just is. And being as a flower means adapting to environment so it can survive. But it just is, just as much as you are, you just are as well. The only thing is you might, you know, be confused about it, but you just are as well. No matter how you want it, that's how it is. So yeah, you can say like, no, it's trying to adapt to its environment and this and that. No, adapting to the environment and such is how it is. Just like if you realize that and you come to that understanding, you have a less, a much better way of going about life and accepting things for what they are. It's like just when you look at it, completely detached perspective. Subscribe to youtube.com slash wins. Watch the live stream at twitch.tv slash live. And follow the real Athene on Snapchat.